Good morning, Journey Church. Why don't you go ahead and stand while we sing?
want to continue our worship experience, so we're going to go ahead and pray. So if everyone can just close your eyes and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the breath that we have in our lungs, that you give us the opportunity to rise up every morning, God. I pray, Father God, that as we're here and as we're worshiping, Father God, that our whole heart, God, would be in it that we put the distractions aside, God, and that we would fully be present in the moment, God, because I truly believe that you want to encounter each and every single one of us, God. I pray, Father God, that as we worship, Father, that we would be able to surrender everything that we have been carrying, Lord, throughout the week, all of our frustrations, all of our anxiety, God, that we would just leave it at the foot of the cross, Lord, and know that it's taken care of because of you. I pray, Father God, that as we continue to worship, God, that we would just be able to worship you, God, in spirit and in truth, Lord that today would be something different and the start of something new. In your mighty name I pray, amen.
Sing a little louder. 
number four. Here we go. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? I'd like to have you seated. If you don't mind, just take a seat real quick. I'm Dave, one of the pastors, and I'm excited about this morning. And it has nothing to do with weather. Kind of cranky out there. You don't know if you're going to get wet. You don't know if you're going to get some sunshine later. But I'm excited because I get to be here this morning with you guys. And I feel like this is such a fun thing to do on a Sunday for me, it, to, to not have to speak, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm going to let my son Tyler give the message this morning. But um, I just get, to, just get to be up here just to connect with you guys for a few minutes and celebrate. And I just, I love what God's doing. I, I love what God has been doing. I love the journey that we've been on together, no pun intended. But I love that we are more and more a family. And, and I know that's, I know that's, for some of you, it's like, well, you know, I'm just, don't, don't, get, don't get in a hurry. I'm just kind of first time or I'm new or I'm just getting acquainted. But, but I love that the church is meant to be a family. This is kind of how Jesus described it is, you know, we're, we're kind of called like not only are we considered his sheep. In other words, he has personal care and he looks out for us. He feeds us, makes sure we have everything we need. Um, not only are we his bride that he's just looking forward to bringing us all home to live in the forever place with God. But this, this is a family. <clears throat> we're called the family of God. So we've been on this journey. We've been the last six plus months. We've been working at uh, Chase's and Elle's home. They they bought a place, and it was um, it had been you know vandalized, it was desperate need. It was kind of really old. Had some need of some work. Let's say lots and lots. That's why it's been six months. But we've been going at it, and um, neither of us are construction workers or have any experience in carpentry. And um, I've just you know had a house long enough to know some basic repairs and how to fix stuff and we've done enough church projects that I've learned basic stuff about construction but but we're we're on this journey and over the last six months it's been so fun because we hit constantly hit a spot where it's like I don't know how to do this you know how to do this no I don't know how to do this of course we don't know how to do this so who knows how to do this and so it's either we're calling up a friend, you know, give call, let's call Travis, or let's call Jeff, or let's call, and we just, Ed, and Ed, and we've got these, we got these people that we just, as I'm looking at it yesterday, we're, we're putting on the knobs of the cabinets, you know, we're moving furniture in, and we're just placing things and making it so, like, right now, it's like feeling like home, like family now exists here, and and it just takes me back to the time when Lori and I were young and we were just starting out and how we were getting this piece of furniture from my parents and this was a donation from a church member and this car, you know, we got the tires from this guy. And, and I just think of all the ways that, that life is just kind of, it's interconnected. And it's, I just, as I'm putting on knobs, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about a, a friend who, who wanted to be a part. So, you know, they gave some of these, you know, fixtures for the doors, of, for the drawers and cupboards and I'm as I'm putting them on I'm just thinking man what an incredible thing to be a part of a family and I don't mean blood relatives I mean people who care about each other people who who just want to invest in each other's lives people who love to see the delight of somebody else when they have something come together in their life and as I'm as we're putting these things together and and Ed you know Wooters has been there nonstop. Ryan's been coming out on his Mondays all the family and everybody else just wanting to contribute I'm looking at this I'm like Man, where would we be without friends? Where would we be without our church? Where would we be without family? And this is what it's all about. And then I think about the church and how the way we used to be um, twice, you know, in our, in our church experience, in our church history, we've been in a school set up and take down every weekend for years. 
and then rent a little building just on the weekends, a little church facility, and then and then finally when we got to move in and just how everybody, I'm like, this person contributed this, this person did that, this person did the electrical, this person did the lighting, this person, and how, you know, you come on a Sunday and you see this kind of, you know, semi-put-together thing, but you forget, this is just us. I mean, I could be sitting where you are, you could be up here, this is... This is just a family, and each of us is leading with our strengths. Each of us is contributing what we have. This is, this is literally an us kind of thing. I don't own this building. We don't, we don't, you know, this is an our thing. This is somebody, we all contribute to the rent of this building. We all contribute to the lights. We all contribute, and we're all part of this. This past weekend, we got to contribute to something really, really cool in, in the community called Night to Shine. I'm, I'm not going to steal their thunder. Tom and Ann are going to share about that. But just the fact that what we can, can, what we can do as when we get together and each of us does our part, it's just it's a beautiful thing. And so just like I get to step back from Chase and Elle's home at the end of the project as it kind of wraps to, to an end, and just the joy that you see and remembering everybody's contribution and everybody has a part in this. I wonder if that's what heaven will be like for those who've just like said, Jesus, I want to be in on what you're doing. And we get to step back and you get to see how your contribution and your effort and your sacrifice and your serving and your little extra played into the lives that were touched at this place or through these church events or through some ministry or through some missionary that we sent out or through grace resource that we support or, you know, any of these dozens and dozens of things that the resources go to that you're a part of. I just wonder how many of you just, it's kind of like that joy you feel when you see a young couple move into their first home and it's like, oh my gosh, we, it's a beautiful thing what we did together. And that's how I feel about Journey Church, because what it is, it's, it's you and I. And, and those of you, and, and, and particularly those of you who are faithful, like, percentage givers. You can call it tithing. If it's 10% or more, that's a literal tithe. means a tenth part of your income. But if you're, if you're like, that was never enough. I just wanted it the starting place. Or, hey, maybe that's where I'm going to get to. I'm working towards that or whatever. But those of you who make this a faithful part of your financial world, those of you who are saying, I want to be a part of this, I'm, I'm just... I just wonder how much pride you must feel sometimes when you walk in and you just see what happens here or you see a life change or you hear stories about some impact that we've had in a place in our valley or elsewhere and just that feeling that just must make you feel like, man, I'm a part of something. This is family. And that's what it's meant to be. And so as, the, as we do the giving this morning, I, I want you to know that I love the most the fact that this is us. There's not one person that supports this whole thing we don't have an endowment. There's no, you know, rich uncle or something that just drops us a million every now and then. It's every week, everybody who shows up and everybody who calls this home and everybody who watches online saying, I want to be a part of that. And those who have just said, I'm going to make this part of my weekly, it's going to go out just like every other thing that I give, you know, consistently to. I'm, I'm just going to give this percentage to this. Man, I just want you to know that we are able to do the things we do because of your faithfulness. And we want to thank you for everybody who puts in a little bit, a little doorknob here or there. This is a beautiful thing, and we want to thank you. And just want to tell you, we got one new way to give that's really exciting. I love this one because personally, I, I, I'm an old school guy, so I like to give in person with a check because it's part of my worship. And, and so, you know, every two weeks when I get paid, you know, it's like, here we go, here's my part. But I think this is a really cool way this Zelle thing at the bottom, if you give through your electronic means, 
you know, there's always a percentage that some bank or some agency gets a slice of. So 2%, 4%, whatever it turns out to be of what you give is just taken away by some bank or institution or electronic, you know, computer thing. But Zelle is one that goes from bank to bank, so there's no fees attached to it. It's direct. So every single dime and penny that you give goes direct. So I love Zelle, and the way it works is if your bank supports Zelle giving, like Chase I know does, you go in there and you just tell add recipient, and you just put Journey Church, and then where it says where you know what the email address we are giving at avjourney.com, giving at avjourney.com, and then you just put your amount, and you can make it regular. You can make it one time, and I love this new opportunity because, like I say, no fees, 100% of it goes direct to that account, so th there's there's no charges to banks. As the ushers come this morning, I'm gonna, I just want to stop and thank God because there's no generosity out, it outdoes his. He gave his life. We give our resources, but he gave his life. Jesus gave his life so that you could experience this. And invite you into his family. And I just want to pray that whatever your experience today, giving or not, that you would experience that life and the love of God towards you. Father, as we pray right now, we're just so grateful that we get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. That one day we can stand and just look at, at all that was accomplished through our giving of resource and time and serving and all these things. And we, just like that young couple moving into a home, you just feel like, oh, I had a part in that. That is so beautiful. God, I, I thank you that we have that, and, and I thank you most of all for your love that would not allow you to keep that distance between us, but you moved in our direction with love and gave the ultimate sacrifice of your son. That I pray that you would bless our giving this morning. God, just send it out to the dozens and dozens of ways that you are just telling people you love them and drawing them to yourself, and help us to do this well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As the ushers come around, I invite Tom and Ann to come on up and tell us what's been happening in the community and what's happening in this coming week. So, guys, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everybody present, all of you out online. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hey, uh, all you fifth and sixth graders, you J kids, guess what? It's your time to get on out of here. You get a skedaddle and go off to wherever you guys hang out at. Excellent. So Night to Shine was on Friday night and it was a great success. Incredible. Huge, yeah, so a huge thank you for everybody who participated, for extending God's love and making each ABIP guest feel so special. It really takes a team of volunteers to put a good event like this together. So I want to call out the registration, decorating and check-in and event set teams that had a huge task of actually planning this event. The welcome and paparazzi teams cheered and greeted the VIP guests as they were dropped off by the limos and proceeded down the red carpet. Hair, makeup, and shoe shine helped the VIP guests feel extra special and did those finishing touches. Um, buddies provided companionship to really make the event really extra special. And food prep, food service teams fed a hungry crowd of Chick-fil-A as they were the lead sponsor of the event. Karaoke and dance floor teams got the VIP guests in the party mood. And Tom was part of that group. Event takedown and cleanup teams wrapped up the night. So I want to once again extend the thanks uh, from heartfelt gratitude for you all to participate in that. And I hope you all enjoyed that. 
Yeah, you guys, it was incredible. All you guys that showed up, we saw so many folks from Journey. It was really cool. Every time I bumped into somebody, it was from Journey. I think every one of those guys will be able to tell you and gals will be able to attest that it was just incredible. Uh, I mean, I haven't taken off this shirt since then just because I <laughs> love the way it felt, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we did it last year, and this year, you know, we thought we'd get there. We didn't really know what to expect, but it was so many of the kids would come up and, hey, how you doing? You know, and it was just that kind of thing is really cool, you know, for me. I walked away feeling so much, and I know Ann did too. So I it was, did as it well. It was incredible. So Absolutely. thanks to all of you folks, you know. So, hey, we also got some other really good news. Uh, looks like that Journey is expanding our uh, J Kids area for the families. So we have a whole new area going in over that way where the exit sign is. Uh, right now, we have officially opened up the mothers and infants uh, nursing room. It's it's now available for you guys. So if you guys want to go on over there, you need to get over there, you need a little bit of privacy, feel free to go over and use it. They are live streaming the, uh, the service here so you guys won't miss anything. It's really a nice area. We were practicing in there and I was like, hey, I'm just gonna hang out here, it's cool, you know, but she told me I couldn't, so we left. Uh, and then the other thing we have coming up here pretty quick, is uh, it's gonna be uh, the family room, the family cry room. They're, they're re, uh, we used to have one, we're doing another one. It's gonna be right over here in the lobby area. We have, it, again, it's gonna have a seated area that's a little bit nice with TVs and stuff that you guys can go hang out if you need to have a little bit of uh, just a wait time, it'll be good. Right now, we don't have it in uh, place, so the lobby has got a couple of areas that you guys can go out and hang, in, out, hang out there if you need to. Hey, guess what, Tom? Oh, what? <laughs> Today is We Love J Kids Day in the children's classrooms. Excellent. So thank you so much, everybody who has been out to help in the J Kids area. Uh, we have a special gift for you to uh, pick up after the service in the nursery uh, pickup in the children's lobby. So look forward to that. So thank you once again. Yeah, obviously you can tell a lot of voluntary goes on. It's really a good thing. I think this church is really good in that. So, hey, uh, at this point, what I'd like to do is welcome all of you folks that are visitors today. I think it's really good. We get new people in here. You kind of get to see how ridiculous some people act and how good some of the other people act. You know? And uh, which you'll get to see it's a, uh, if you come more and more, you'll see it's a real, it is really a family event thing here. And we really, really welcome you guys. We think it's a great thing that you guys are here. So welcome all. And lastly, it's stand and greet time. So go ahead and stand on up and greet the person next to you. Thank you and have a great morning. first service where people are so busy talking that they don't even see that it's time to start. That's a great sign. Well, good morning. My name is Tyler. Uh, I'm one of the team members here at Journey, and I have the honor and privilege of, of sharing on this topic of your best life. How many of you currently feel like you are living your very best life? Praise the Lord. 
So good. We're going to close there today, folks. We can send you on out with that encouraging thought. Uh, the reality is, is we're all looking for that. We want, we want a better version of the life that we're living. And, uh, and I think it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about kind of what this looks like for my life. We just came out of the fast. And uh, for those of you who participated um, and those of you who didn't, it's just been an interesting season to recalibrate, to kind of get things focused. It's an easy time to just like cleanse all of the, you know, really terrible food you ate during November and December and just like get yourself back on track. And, uh, but it's also a deeply spiritual opportunity to kind of just refocus. What is this all about? Funny thing about food is the moment you take it out, you're really aware that it's not there. The moment you take food out, you know, you take, you get people who are normally really, really mellow, and they can be really moody. You take food out, and all of a sudden, you get hangry. Who knows hangry? You live with them. But this is the moments in life that that I think really reveal a lot, and I love, I love this. I love the idea of, of stepping into moments and times in our lives where we have the opportunity to really challenge, because I think for most of us, as much as we talk about our best life and maybe stepping into our best life, more times than not, we're really too busy for that to be a reality for us. We don't really do a whole lot in order to be able to maybe even change those things. We maybe want a couple, give me three easy steps on how to improve my quality of life, right? You got an app for this? And the answer is no, unfortunately. I'm sorry, I have no three easy steps for you today, but I do wanna just kinda bring it back to the real centerpiece of what I feel like God is trying to do here. And I, it's been something that God has been really teaching me a lot about because this question keeps coming to mind. If, hypothetically, fully hypothetically, because I don't believe it's possible, but if there was some ability to prove without a shadow of a doubt that all of this is not real, that it is all just a really cool story, that somehow they're able to prove Jesus is just a make-believe character, mythology, something that was created a long time ago. The idea of that's scary, but the question is, how would it impact your everyday? If Jesus really stopped it being real, if, if this a whole idea of everything that we talk about regularly on Sundays became the reality is that it, it's just not true. It's not there. That this, this, there is nothing to any of this. My real question is, how would this impact your everyday? Like, now for, for most of us, in a spiritual moment, we'd be like, wow, my life would be wrecked. But I mean, practically, realistically speaking, what would it impact besides your Sunday, maybe? Now, I don't say this condemningly. I really don't. This is not something, it is a question to frame how I want us to think this morning. Because I want to start to look at why that is. Why is that? Why is that? When we talk about good news, it usually is good. And it makes us want to be a part of it. But I think there's something so interesting when it comes to this interaction that we have with Jesus. And I've had to really confront 
a lot of these the ideas and the ways that Jesus has been communicated to me over my life that God has almost had to completely deconstruct and reconstruct without all the bullcrap, for lack of better terms. The reality is today that what we're talking through is how to live your best life. And, and without the three easy steps, this can be really tough for us because we don't know what that looks like. So how do we go about doing that? What does that mean? This whole series has been dedicated to kind of focusing on this whole last season. I mean, frankly, this whole last year. Maybe you feel like you're hearing the same thing over and over again. But the reality is we may just want to keep saying it until it starts to sink in with all of us. And it starts with me first. Um, so as we're kind of getting started today, I'm just going to read a little scripture. And we're just going to talk a little bit about it. And I'm, I really am excited because I get to talk to you from a place that from what God has been teaching me lately, I don't know where else to really go from, because the reality is that God is, is doing things today, and it's working right now. And so I want to pick up in Luke chapter 5. I want to start in verse 1, and I'll just read to you a little bit. This is what it says in, in Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. Where am I at? For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into, in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the, and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and follow Jesus. Now, I don't have a ton of, ton of experience with fishing. We grew up, and part of our Wednesday night programs, you go up in church, you know, they, they'll, they do a lot of Christian versions of different things that are going on in the world. And so what we had was Royal Rangers. And for any of you who, yeah, if you're laughing because you've been there, Royal Rangers was the Christian version of, like, Boy Scouts. And you get a uniform, it's kind of like military school, so it's really fun, <laughs> obviously. Who doesn't like that? And uh, you get, you know, a little sash, and you got to collect little badges, and you do that by doing different tasks, and one of those tasks was fishing. So, you know, we'd go every Wednesday night because, you know, church gets together on Wednesday nights, so kids had kids programs. We were in Royal Rangers. You got to wear your khaki outfit. Your little, you either had a bolo or you had like a yellow handkerchief. Yeah, that. 
it was weird. And it was interesting because it was this whole world where it was like, this is what this is all about. And I remember sitting there and like the most exciting thing, the best thing to look forward to is if you were really good, you got to turn on the fake fire that was in the room that we would sit around and have our fake marshmallows and like talk around it. But it was literally little plastic pieces that they kind of made like wood and, and little like tissue paper that a fan underneath it turned on and it just kind of fluttered like this. And the most exciting thing of the night is if you behaved well enough, you got to turn that bad boy on. You got to light the fire. That's how you know it was a good time. That's the best you get to look forward to on a night. And the weirdest thing is, as a kid, how weird is it that those are the kinds of things you really are pumped on? Like, I really look forward to that. I was so honored to be able to light the fire. And, like, I was special that night. It's so weird. But we would go on camping trips, and we would go fishing. And the, I remember one time they took us out, and, you know, part of this is they want to teach you all these things. And so we'd, they'd point out, like, salamanders and, and just make sure that you were, you know, not completely illiterate as, as children. And, and we would go fishing. My dad took us because it was a father-son weekend, and so Chase and I went, my dad took us fishing, and I can honestly say, unfortunately, I remember very little about that. I think I, I know, my dad said, ow. Not because that wasn't cool to be with my dad and my brother, but because for the most part for me, fishing was really uneventful. I was, it wasn't that interesting. We got up at the butt crack of dawn in our uniforms. You know, you had to go sit for a while. You'd catch the fish. And then there were, like, the, the benefit of that was then you got to go clean it. Cleaning fish is not fun. I never enjoyed it. I'll eat it. Love to eat it. But if you want me to gut it all the way up, from its booty all the way up and take all its stuff out. I'm just, eh, I'll light the fire. <laughs> there was other memories that I've had, though, that were significant when it came to fishing. I remember as kids uh, when it had nothing to do with Royal Rangers because Royal Rangers sucked. I'm just going to say it. If you haven't caught that, by the way, I'm talking about it. It wasn't great. But Fishing was fun, and being with my dad and, and Chase, and we would go, and we had friends who would take us, and there was, other, there was these other times where we would go fishing, and it was really cool, because my dad would get us up before the sun rose, because if you're going to fish, you always know you got to go up before the sun rises, and we would get ready, and we would grab breakfast, and we would head out, and we, we'd get on the boat, and... Uh, and it was just this really incredible time as the sun comes up, and we were up in this, in this gorgeous lake. Our friend had a boat, so he would take us out, and we'd get to just, we would just putt around, find different spots, and we would fish. And those were memories that were special to me. The only other memory I really have is my dad taking us deep sea fishing, and that was more traumatizing than anything because uh, we, same kind of whole spiel, except for that there was this dude right next to me who went to cast, and he was like super serious about it. And uh, when he went to cast, somehow he uh, like flicked it wrong, and he had this three-pronged hook and it got caught in his hand, and he started trying to yank it out, but it had barbs on it. And so it just started digging in, and he just started bleeding all down everything. And 
and then he starts screaming, and then they start having to cut it out of him, and I just sat there going, I'm good. I'm good. We're good. We're okay, right? Like, who needs that? I'm, not, I'm all right. So when it came, comes to things like this, and I look at fishing, I think it's funny because for some of you, this is, like, this is a pastime that you're like, oh, yeah, me and Peter, we would have gotten along just fine. We've just been sitting in the boat, hanging out all night, fishing. For the others of you, you may be so disconnected from this that this means nothing to you. But I think what's important and what I love about this, these kinds of stories and these moments is they're just so real. You will always hear me talk about bringing the humanity back to the scriptures because I think when we read the stories, there's a familiarity that starts to come, with, especially if you've been in church long enough. You'll hear any number of these stories over and over again in different ways your whole freaking life. And you get to the point where familiarity breeds contempt, and so you, we all are using the same words, and yet the meaning starts to lose its power. And I want to look at this this morning because there's some really cool things that I think take place here. And when I ask the question, the why, the why of, of if Jesus was no longer a part, would it impact our day to day? Would it really impact how you live your everyday? Because in reality, most of us are just living. Jesus really doesn't have that much to, pl to play in it. Like, he doesn't have a huge part to play for a lot of us. Maybe you talk to him a little bit while you go. But I mean, for the vast majority of us, I feel like we're just kind of getting through life. Like I said, no, there's no judgment there. No con I'm not condemning you for that. But I want to look at why that is. And I'll, I want to look at this man, Jesus, because I think that there is more to him. And I think the way that he's been presented in so many circles, in so many places, has left us less than interested in spending time with him. If I'm 100% honest, I don't know that we're that interested in being with him. Because what I see here is something really interesting. I'm going to read it again just because I want to make sure that it's clear in our heads as we kind of lock into it. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in and on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowd from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets, go, I'll let the nets down again. And, in the, and this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for, a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon the, both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. I just want to stop here for a second. So there's some interesting things, that, like, really quickly that I want to just look at. I think it's powerful and important uh, and interesting because Peter's a professional fisherman. Jesus is not. Jesus was a carpenter. So for Jesus to ask Peter to go back out and to fish was a unique request. Kind of funny. Kind of ironic. Because it's like when somebody wants to help you do your job, but you know they don't know your job. Anybody have those people in your life? They're going to help you do your job? Pastors get that the most. Everybody suddenly is going to help you be a better communicator. It's really humbling. Like, here, you did a great job, but here's how you could do a lot better. 
I'm like, thank you so much. I'm going to quit. And <laughs> you have it. Go for it. Uh, but this is, this is the thing about this. I think there's a couple key things that I, I want to look at real quick. And this is, this is what it comes down to. Uh, when Jesus is with Peter. So in Luke right now, Peter and, Luke, or Peter and Jesus haven't met yet. This is the, these are the beginning moments of a relationship that is about to take place. Now, you all know about Peter. We hear a lot about him. But in these moments, they've not met yet. This is the beginning of this relationship. This is the, very, this is the starting point of these guys' relationship. And the starting point, in Luke at least, right here, is Jesus asking, Luke, or asking Peter to bring out his boat so he can preach. And then as soon as he's done, which already was a nice, like, a nice thing for Peter to do with not knowing Jesus at this point, not knowing he's the Messiah or whatever, Letting the, taking the boat back out after he had just spent all night uh, working, come back in, does all that, and then is asked to go cast the net again, which means they would have had to put everything back in the boats, get all prepared, and then do it all over again. This is an interesting moment for me because what we've been talking about is spiritual practices. We call them disciplines, but that's like a curse word today in our world, so we don't like that word as much because it sounds painful. And so we remove, what we, if it's easier for you, we'll call them practices. And we talk about these, but I think there's some interesting things, because I think, like, like Peter, a lot of times we approach spiritual practices like this moment. One, they always seem to be inconvenient. Do they not? I mean, unless you're super spiritual in this room, and you're probably way more spiritual than I am anyways, but... To get up super early or to like the typical quiet time of getting up at, you know, five in the morning, six in the morning as the sun rises and doing your quiet time with Jesus. How many people really have these regular moments with God? This time with God, these practices with Jesus, silence and solitude and fasting and journaling and worship and prayer and scripture reading or meditation and all of these things. Anybody did that? Get you like all excited in your heart when I just said all that, when I listed all those? Or did it kind of like make you feel a little sick to your stomach? You know, like what, when it comes down to it, we hear these things and it's like, yeah. And I feel like we're like Peter sometimes where it's like, yeah, Jesus, we've tried these and it didn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. Like I've tried the, I've tried the reading my Bible every day thing. What's the point? It doesn't seem to do anything for me. I've tried the prayer thing. It feels like it bounces off the ceiling, lands on the floor. I feel kind of crazy because I'm talking to myself. It's not working for me. I feel like I'm trying to listen to worship, you know, but really, I'd rather listen to country. Or not. You know, I think each of us journaling, the idea of journaling for a lot of us is like, mm, that, there is nothing interesting about that. I'd rather eat a pair of socks. You know, I don't know. It depends on what your feels are on that. Peter is in this moment with Jesus, and I think what is crucial and what we have to start before we do anything else is recognize that to follow Jesus, to live a life in the way of Jesus starts with one thing. It starts with this humble acceptance, humbling ourselves. See, I think this really interesting moment takes place. Jesus, I love that Jesus starts this relationship by meeting a practical need for Peter. This was his livelihood. They, just, they didn't catch anything. This is how he makes money. I think we overlook the fact that he just met a practical need. Go out, go into your boat, cast the net, pulls out so much fish, 
that they couldn't, they were starting to be worried they were going to sink the boat. Cha-ching. Jesus takes care of a practical need for them. It's handled. All of a sudden, they're bringing this in. And I love that it starts with this. Because this is going to be a theme that we're going to recognize throughout our stories with Jesus, if we begin to let him, is it starts with Jesus, an act of grace on Jesus' part, and then we have an opportunity to respond. But here's the thing. Peter had a choice to step into what he thought he, where he thought he knew better or to do what seemed contradictory to what he knew anyways. And when he did it, the blessings came out of it, and what, brought a, what the result was, was an awareness of his inadequacy and an ownership of his brokenness. Came running back to Jesus and just said, I am a sinner, please leave me. I'm a sinful man, leave me. See, I think there's something crucial. We can't even move on into spiritual disciplines if we can't address the fact that it starts with ownership on our part. Because for me, there's so many messages that I've heard about doing better. We've lived in a, I've lived in a world and been a part of churches for so long that have talked about the need for turning the other cheek. And if, you, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And love your neighbor and love your enemy. And if you don't do these things, you're not a good person. And so then we've, we pile on more guilt. And I think there's something so interesting about when I interact with Jesus in Scripture, the man that I meet looks nothing like the man that is so much, so much of the time preached. The man that I interact with is nothing like the one that I keep hearing so much of the time or that I grew up hearing as I was a kid. This is a Jesus that I want to spend time with. The one that I learned about, I had no interest in because he was boring and also angry a lot. Disappointed with me consistently. I don't know about you, but this is a moment in, in a story with, with each of us that starts with, if we got to start at ground one, have you owned where you are with Jesus? Everywhere from, you know, all the things that feel like they get you stuck. Have you owned your shame? Have you owned your inadequacy? I, is there an acknowledgement of these things before God? A lot of us avoid church for that very reason, because we don't want to feel those things. And yet, the thing that I think is interesting is Jesus is not bringing it up to condemn. He is bringing it up to free Peter. Because until Peter is able to come to Jesus and let himself be humbled and let Jesus become his leader and let himself follow what seems inconvenient and seems counterintuitive and seems even counterproductive, then a day in an age where we may be so busy that it's easier to do what we need to do than what Jesus is asking us to do, that we have to humble ourselves sometimes and not think that we know better. If I am really honest with you, I will just speak for myself because I cannot speak for you but if you looked, if, I, if you were just listening to the communication of my life through my actions, I have lived a majority of my life communicating that I know better than Jesus. Majority of my story has been, has been handled in a way that, it, that you would see a theme that says, mm, I think you trust Jesus far less than you trust your own gut, your own instincts, your own thing. And I think that's... That's where I get stuck. Because when it comes to this idea of, of spiritual disciplines, of spiritual practices, of spending time with God, 
We could list them for you and give you the reasons why and, and all the hows. But the reality is, is it all starts with an encounter with Jesus. It starts with recognizing he will meet practical needs. He doesn't need to twist our arms, convince us, shift us, change us to make this happen. That the Jesus I keep interacting with is the one who is interacting with Peter. Jesus replied, don't be afraid. Now, from now on, you'll be fishers, fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. It next goes into a story real quick about Jesus healing a man with leprosy. At the end of this story, in verse 15 and 16, it says, But despite Jesus' instructions, so he had told the guy not to tell anybody, he said, In spite of Jesus' instructions, his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to, him pre to, came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Highlight that last part. If you have your Bible, highlight that last part. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Luke is doing something important in his gospel. In every moment where Jesus is about to make a major decision, Luke's, Luke makes a point to show that Jesus got away with God to, to just focus. He got in silence and solitude and separation and just focused in with God. Contrast this. So we have Peter, introduction with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. Jesus is about to start a whole ministry and is kicking things off. Right before we introduce Peter into the scene in chapter five, verse, or chapter four, the very end of chapter four shows us that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, that he left. We go on, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And then he meets Matthew. Now I want to read this really quickly. In verse 27, it says this, chapter 5, we're at, towards the end of chapter 5, this is what it says. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. For me and my disciple, or follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi had held a banquet in his, in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. To me, these are incredible bookends of the same story, the same idea. The whole start of the chapter starts with Peter's ownership, his acknowledgments, his acceptance of the fact that, he's in, that he doesn't have it all figured out. Even when it came to something as practical as his trade, what he does for a living. We end this chapter or this section, goes into a whole discussion on fasting. But this part right here, I love that it talks about healthy people don't need a, need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Suddenly, a couple different images pop into my mind that I want to just kind of land on, and we're going to close out. One is this. Jesus engages Peter, invites him into relationship. Peter has the opportunity to choose to do his own thing, and it is his very acknowledgement of letting Jesus lead him in his ownership of his brokenness, that he has not got it all together, that allows him to become Jesus' follower. Fast forward, we see Jesus up on a mountain praying. 
Now, this memory, this instantly brings me back to a scene in all of the Gospels where Jesus is about to die. He takes all the disciples with him to go pray. Anybody heard this story before? They all go to the mountain to pray. Jesus goes a little bit further with Peter, James, and John, and then goes even a bit further to pray. Now, what happens? Jesus is praying, comes back. What are the disciples doing? They're asleep. They're asleep. Jesus goes, wakes them up, goes back, comes back again. What are they doing? They're asleep. Now, this interaction takes place between Jesus and them, and he says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing and your flesh is weak. What is about to happen is Jesus is preparing these guys because of what's about to take place is his death. Peter has just gone on and is just, he's just boasting in front of everybody how no matter what, if, no matter what happens to Jesus, he's going to be right there by his side. That he would never deny Jesus. Fast forward, Peter's one of the first ones to dip out, then denies Jesus three times, and is nowhere to be seen during Jesus' crucifixion. Nowhere. The man who had this great encounter with Jesus on a beach front in Galilee, who Jesus has shown him all of these things, is nowhere to be seen. You see, Peter was still sick. There was a sickness in Peter that is the same sickness that's in us. But I love it also because what I also see, if I can get to it, is another story. It instantly took me to another story, which is at the very end of John, actually. And some commentators think that, there is a, that, the, that these stories may overlap, but others see this as two separate events. And I land kind of in this circle, and this is what it says in, in John chapter 21. This is after Jesus rose from the grave. This is after Jesus has shown up again. And he's about to ascend to heaven. He's about to leave his earthly ministry. And this is what happens. This is what he says. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Sound familiar? This is how it happened. Several, several of the disciples there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the, twin, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Sound familiar? At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Or the, Yeah, the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side, right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Sound familiar? Then the disciple, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. I love this picture. I love this story. It's this early morning, and the disciples decide to go out fishing as they normally do, going back to their routines that, like, that made sense to them. And in this moment, there's this flashback to Peter's first encounter with Jesus, and yet now it's the end of the story. After all of this ugliness, after the betrayal, after the, he's been left, after everything has taken place, 
Jesus invites him back into the same structure, the same, like something that seems so familiar. Ever found yourself in a familiar situation with Jesus where it's like, I feel like we're doing the same thing over again. And I wonder if Jesus doesn't do that sometimes, not to frustrate us, but to remind us the centerpiece of what he's doing, which that that moment was centered in love. That it was centered in acceptance, that it was centered in Jesus' pursuit of us. In this moment, Peter recognizes Jesus, jumps out of the boat, swims to him, gets out, and Jesus is there with breakfast. This is why this matters to me. When we're talking about spiritual disciplines and we're talking about this time together, do you know the Jesus who cooks you breakfast? Do you know the Jesus who, after you are so broken and have outright just completely denied him, betrayed him, left him, chosen your own way, do you know the Jesus who is there the very next morning to cook you breakfast, to sit with you, to be with you, to love on you? He's about to restore Peter. See, here's the thing that I think is so important that we miss. So many preachers and pastors Focus on the need for, for repentance and the need for admittance of sin and all of that stuff because otherwise you're going to hell and you need to get ready and get right with Jesus or else. Here's the thing that I see, and here's been the truth of my own story. It's a wrong emphasis because to take ownership until we take ownership and put ourselves in this humbling position to accept the grace of Jesus, we will never meet the Jesus who cooks us breakfast. You will never know the Jesus who loves you unconditionally because you've never needed it. You will never know the Jesus who shows up when everyone else has bailed and is there consistently day in and day out because you've never let yourself. So we settle for some hybrid of the Jewish law and this new modern church world, and we settle for being kind of good people, and we pick and choose rules that we like and the ones that we think we're good at. We get rid of the ones that we aren't convenient for us. Like, I, I want to have sex when I want to have sex. Who cares? Piles on more shame, piles on more guilt, piles on more brokenness. And the focus is where it's broken because what you hear from Jesus in these moments, you see Jesus initiating this relationship. But then we hear things like Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, where blessed are the, are the meek, blessed are the, those who mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit, and all of these. And it's almost preached as if you have to become those things to be blessed, that we have to turn the other cheek to become a good Christian, that you need to pluck your eye out or cut your hand off. And it blows my mind because the more I read, the more I realize that what Jesus was doing was almost like sarcasm because it was this highlighting things and building off of the, Moses, the law of Moses so extremely to the point where it feels so overwhelming that the only option is to fake it or to take it off and to stop trying to earn it. The only way to stop trying to earn it, as if Jesus is going to be more pleased with you if you cut your dang hand off. And if, as if the lie that associated with that, that if you plucked your eye out because you lust so much or you cut your hand off because it causes you to sin, that somehow that's going to make you a better person. Y'all, I don't need any help with my eyes or my hands to have ugly, sinful thoughts in my head. How about you? Anybody need help? 
This is, this is a broken piece within us. It assumes that we can still figure out how to make ourselves right with Jesus on our own. There is no ability to do this. None. You could cut off every limb on your body. You could become literally just a stub. You're still capable of being jacked up and thinking terrible, ugly, sinful thoughts. The thing that I love about this, it is not sin, and you've heard me say this a lot of times, but I'm going to keep saying it because I don't think that most of us are hearing it fully in our hearts. As, this, as the worship team comes and we get ready to close, spiritual disciplines, if Jesus needed to spend time with God regularly, take time aside, how much more do we need it? If you start hearing God's prompting to spend time with him, is it maybe just maybe that he's trying to get you centered with him before you're, he knows you're about to potentially get tripped up on some stuff that is going to add a whole lot of guilt, a whole lot of shame, a whole lot of disconnect between you and him, and that though he's going to be there, he wants to protect you from that, so we spend time with him. See, a lot of times spiritual disciplines, where we're at in our lives right now, they start out prescriptive. You get a prescription when you're sick. Who doesn't need a prescription when you're sick? But eventually, they become preventative. See, we don't just use them long enough for us, the sickness, to stop being there. The life to the full, this idea of the vine and the branches and remaining with Jesus, I love that the picture, John Mark Comer put it this way, a pastor, he talked about the vine and the branches this way. He said the, the disciplines within the vine and the branches, the remaining, the being with Jesus is the trellis to the vine. Now a trellis, anywhere you see a vineyard, you see a trellis. That is the wooden pieces that hold everything up that they bind it to. It's so that the fruit, the, or the true, true, the tree can produce fruit. Our, the time we spend with Jesus is not out of obligation. See, I've become motivated in this last season more than ever in my life. I am motivated to be with Jesus because I have started to see him as the man and the God who makes me breakfast in the morning. And, that, and I know that sounds like such a, you know, an artsy, creative term and an idea. But really, I wake up and I just thank God that I have eyesight today. Because in moments where, you know, we, we want to get so tangled up in what we don't have and where God's not coming through, that we miss the gifts that are right in front of us, the practical ones, the everyday ones, the ones where Jesus just told you to cast your net out and something that you were already doing, he takes care of as if we're entitled to it. When's the last time you got overwhelmed by color that you see it? Watched a video recently of a kid who was colorblind, couldn't see, but was able to get color correcting lenses for Christmas. And in the video, he puts them on. He's not quite sure how he feels about it, but the mom starts picking up balloons of different colors. And he starts yelling one by one, red, green, blue. And about midway through, he gets so choked up that he turns around and wraps his arms around his dad and just starts sobbing. When's the last time you got so overwhelmed by the fact that you can see the beauty of color all around you? When's the last time that you saw God's faithfulness show up in your life because you had the health to get up and show up today instead of being crippled and stuck to your bed? See, more and more, God is divorcing me with this idea of a God who is, is chronically disappointed with me and is starting to show me that in ownership of my failures, one, it is not just that it's, it's there to help kind of make me feel better. It's 
the prerequisite for experiencing him as the good God that he actually is. Not condemning, not as if you can earn it or fix it or make it right yourself. When Jesus talks about the reason why I brought up the whole thing about needing a doctor is because he is every bit of that, those stories were to highlight the exact same thing. That the only difference between people, and I've said this before, is those who recognize that they're sick and those who think they can figure out on their own. This morning you are invited, invited into relationship to live your best life is for it to be completely intertwined so deeply with the life of Jesus that if, if there was ever a possibility for this thing not to be real, your life would utterly fall apart because, it's the, because it is the foundation of your very being. That's what we're moving towards. But my prayer for you today is that as you start to spend time with him, and I don't care what that looks like, Get away with him. Shut your phone off. Maybe it's God prompting you right before you go to bed that instead of scrolling through your, your, your preferred social media app, he asks you to just be with him for a minute before you fall asleep. That maybe when you get up and get ready in the morning and you're showering and it's, it's the only moments that you may have alone, that you listen for him. That you let him be present with you. And y'all, I, I talk about this and I'm passionate about it because for the first time in my life, I wake up with joy. Not because my life's all together and not because I have it all figured out because God knows I'm far from it. But I wake up grateful every morning. Like consistently, it's really weird. I'm a really negative person. It doesn't work. This life works. To be able to be Peter and run to Jesus instead of run from him shows the intimacy in their relationship. You want to know Jesus intimately, you got to take off all the BS that's covering you from him, that's removing you from him. The ownership allows for intimacy in that relationship. And that is where when you are broken in your worst moments, you are jumping out of a boat and swimming towards him instead of in the opposite direction because you have such a relationship that it reminds you of the first day you met him and realize that it has been characterized by Jesus' faithfulness and love and care for you since day one. Never let go. He's never let you go. He will never let you go. You are loved this morning. We cannot do this on our own. The spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices are there to help us live life to the full, to get a picture of Jesus that is worth living. It is not about attending church services. It is not about checklists. It is not about doing some good things to balance out the bad things. It is about recognizing this is it. I'm a sick person who needs a doctor. Jesus is the doctor. Spend time with him. And the more we fall in love with him, the more we interact with him, he becomes the man who cooks you breakfast after your brokenness rather than the man who condemns you for it. Do you know that, Jesus? Do you truly know that, Jesus? Is your inability to turn the other cheek or do all of those things a revelation of your badness? Or is it just an indication that, if, that it's an opportunity to spend more time with Jesus? Because I really believe that a lot of this stuff isn't something we can will. It is the byproduct and the organic response to being with Jesus.
There is nothing in me that can turn the other cheek on my own, period. But I start to be transformed by love the more I spend time with it in Jesus. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to close. God, I thank you so much because the more I, the more I meet with you, the more we see you, the more I recognize that you are, in fact, the God who is there with us to cook breakfast. And I can see it in, in more and more of the stories within the Gospels. The more I, I, I interact with you, Jesus, the more I start to see, yes, you want holiness for our life. And you want us to be set apart and you want freedom from sin. But it is not by focusing on it and by willing ourselves to be different and to be better. It is by simply spending time with you. That when we set up some trellises in our life to hold us up by practices of engaging with you through prayer and reading and listening and being. That we start, we start to experience the fruit that only comes from you. God, I pray this morning that we would not leave condemned, but inspired, encouraged. God, that it would start with ownership, that we would just humble ourselves and just come to you fully so that you could take it because you, most of us feel it and then we run from you so we never experience or get to hear the words of grace that you have for us as we engage you. Lead us and guide us as we move on in this week, God. I pray for promptings in each of our hearts to spend time with you, and that as we do, our lives would be transformed. Lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to sing as we close. Understand me, you understand me, and come to me in the valley of unknowns. You understand me, you understand me, you understand me, God, you understand me. So I throw all my cares before you, my doubts and fears don't scare you, you're bigger than I thought you were, you're bigger than I thought, so I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation, you're bigger than I thought you were, you're bigger than